We're going to turn now to God's Word. Uh, We are back in Galatians chapter 5, and just want to give a brief reminder of the context, uh, because we kind of took a little break for uh, Christmas. Uh, The book of Galatians is really this this battle, when Paul is, uh, he is um, arguing for the gospel, he is contending for the gospel over and against a group of people, they're referred to as agitators or Judaizers, they're, they're people who are uh, teaching a false gospel, a false doctrine. These people are teaching that basically you believe and then you do good and then maybe, if you've done enough good, you'll be saved. Whereas the, the actual gospel is you believe and you're saved and then you do the good works that flow out of that belief and that salvation that Jesus has given you. And that is a huge, huge distinction. That really changes everything. Our relationship with God, the way that we reach out and love others. And Paul is going to teach us more uh, about that this morning. So let's dig into the the text. I'm going to read uh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, If I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
So maybe, maybe some of you don't care, but a lot of us are pretty interested in a certain football game that's going on at 1.40 this afternoon. Unfortunately, this sermon is going to be so long that we're going to miss the kickoff. Um, maybe, maybe, we'll see. But uh, what's interesting about this football game is the two quarterbacks of the teams, the Philadelphia Eagles and the Seattle Seahawks, they are both followers of Jesus. So that is to be celebrated. That is a wonderful thing. Uh, Carson Wentz for the Eagles and Russell Wilson for the Seahawks. And that's, it's so cool that they're both believers in Jesus and they're very um, active in their faith and they talk, about, they talk about their relationship with God a lot. Um, that there is a distinction, though, between their, you know, their faith and the way that they talk about it and, and the way that they communicate it. The, my, my guy, Russell Wilson, unfortunately, I would like to sit down with him and talk about theology and talk about the Bible. Because really what comes across a lot is sort of this rah-rah, motivational speaking you know, think positive and everything will work out. And I don't know if he intends this or not, but a lot of times it feels like God is just blessing his dream and his will and his purposes. It's, it's kind of a little bit of this whole, the power of positive thinking. And that's really different than the gospel. You know, the gospel of Christ has saved sinners. Um, Carson Wentz, I, I watched an interview he did this week with, uh, with a theologian that, uh, that I like, Paul David Tripp. And it, it's, there's, it, when you listen to him, you are reminded how different you know, the power of positive thinking is from amazing grace. <laughs> you know, how amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Um, that is that is the gospel in a few you know in a few words, and this uh, this other this other thing this power of positive thinking this this trying harder this uh, you know motivational speaking it's it's not the gospel, and we need to come back to the gospel. And Paul, Paul shows us why. Paul shows us how this all works out, and Paul shows us. You know, the power of Jesus, whether things are going great or whether we are suffering and hurting. Uh, but it's, it's really crucial and really important that we, that we do what Paul is commending us to do this morning. That we live in the freedom that Christ has won for us. It's right there. It's right, very clear there in, in verse 1. And so this morning I want to talk about the heart and the actions, as, as a way of getting in and as a way of understanding and as a way of practicing out this freedom that Christ has won for us on the cross. It's, first, we have to look at our, at our heart, because our heart and our motivations lead to our actions. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning, our heart and our actions, how we walk in freedom in both of those areas. So first, we have to get our heart motivations right. We have to get them motivated by the gospel. And Paul lays that out for us right there in the first three verses. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. 
I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you. I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. Paul is very serious about this. You know, he he reiterates it. He says it again and again. Mark my words. This is so important. And if you you were with us in uh, October and November, you saw that this comes up again and again and again. That these agitators, that these Judaizers, they're coming in and they're saying, well, if you really want to be a top-notch Christian, if you really want to be part of this inner circle, you've got to follow the law. You've got to do everything. And if you're serious about it, you'll be, you'll be circumcised. Whereas Paul is preaching what Jesus has done, how he, how he fulfilled the law. That's what he said in the Sermon on the Mount. I haven't come to abolish the law. I fulfilled the law. Remember what happened when Jesus died on the cross. The curtain was torn in two. That there is no longer any need for the sacrifices and the keeping of the law like they did in the Old Testament. Paul, as he's writing, he has in the back of his mind all of his Jewish training and all of his Jewish background. And he knows that, the, that there's now two big salvation stories, two big deliverances that God has done for his people. That God delivered his people from slavery and into the promised land. That, that Moses did that. That Moses delivered them and that was celebrated every year and Paul would have known that all of his life. But Paul also knows another thing. That Jesus is the new Moses. That he's the new Moses. That he's the new liberator. That he's the, the, the one that finally delivers not just the Israelites, not just the circumcised, but all of his children from every tongue, tribe, and nation delivered, set free, leaving that life of slavery and imprisonment behind and living this life of freedom. So what? What's our, what's our motivation? Why, why should we live a good life? Because it seems, wait a minute, we have all this freedom. You mean we can do whatever we want at any time in any place? I mean, how's that a good motivation? How are, how are people going to, to live a good life? Because isn't it interesting that there's no difference between Paul and these agitators that you should do these things, that you should live a good life, that you should, you know, be a good person. It's the motivation that, they're, that they differ on. It's the motivation that's so crucial and so important. It's kind of like a student who, you know, he wants to, he or she wants to get into a great college. And so they work really hard for three and a half years to get those good grades, to get all A's, and then they get accepted to the college of their dreams. And then, you know, that last semester of high school, what do they do? They just kind of coast. They don't do their homework. They don't show up anymore because they're like, I already got in. What does it matter what I do? I'm already into my college. This is about motivation. It's about, you know, who we are when no one's watching. 
It's about what really drives us. And it's, it, is, it is crucial. Why, why are we motivated? Why do we want to uh, live in a loving way? Why do we want to love our neighbors like Paul says here? It's because we're motivated by the gospel. Because what we, we find what Jesus did beautiful and pleasing and motivating. Because what Jesus did on the cross changes our hearts. It changes our motivations. It changes our desires. Where we don't just desire what we want anymore, but we desire what God wants and what His will is. Think about all of those missing children, you know, notices that we get. You know, sometimes there's Amber Alerts. Sometimes there's posts on Facebook that say, this 12, 13, 14-year-old kid ran away. The parents don't know where they are. That, that moves our hearts. I mean, if we stop and think about that, if we truly reflect on it, I mean, how could a parent... If your if 13-year-old is is gone, is missing, has run away. I mean, how could you even sleep? How could you think about anything else? How could you function? And that, that is a tiny, tiny sliver of the way that God feels about his children, about his people. He wants us to come home, you know, to be with him to live the life with Him, to live the life of the Spirit, to not be missing anymore, to not be wandering off, to not be like the prodigal son sowing our wild oats, but to be with Him. And that is why He came to earth in Jesus Christ to bring His missing children home, to rescue us. And we, you know, we will... We will shed tears, we will cry, we will suffer with parents of missing children. And that same type of motivation works in our hearts and in our lives to, to live for Christ. Our motivation is love, is love for God. And it's love for God flowing through us. Like Paul says in verse 14, the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. We love because he first loved us. We receive that love from God and we extend it to the people around us. And that is our motivation. So we get our heart motivation right. And then it flows out into a life of gospel love for others. We get our actions right. Remember the, the difference between uh, religion, you know, dead religion, and the gospel? Uh, you know, Tim Keller has this little thing that he says that religion is this idea that if we obey, then we'll be accepted. You know, if we're good, if we don't mess up, if we come to church all the time, if we read our Bible every morning, if we pay our tithe, all these things, then maybe God will accept us. That's so different from what Jesus actually taught. So different from the gospel that the New Testament presents. That gospel says that because of Jesus, because of what he has done on that cross, we trust in him and we're accepted. 
We're fully accepted. And out of that acceptance, we live an obedient life. We want to please God above all else. So when, when you live in the first way, when you live this religious life, it becomes very selfish. And your actions, even your good actions, become about trying to please other people and trying to look good you know, in their eyes. Um, again, Tim Keller has this great quote. He says, you've never done anything for God until you know you can do nothing for God. Until you know that you are fully accepted in him, that you are a saint that's going to persevere, that nothing you can do can change God's mind about you, then you can actually love him freely. That's the freedom that Paul's talking about. You love him freely. You don't love him like the older brother and the prodigal son. You don't love him to try to earn something. You don't love him to earn your salvation or earn your way into heaven. You're you're not out there in the backyard slaving year after year so that you you can get a little something from your dad. You're living this life of love for him because he's loved you, because he's laid down his life for you. That is what motivates us. That's what changes our actions and the love that we that we share with other people. There's a wonderful commentary that I, I've been reading a lot of commentaries. Galatians is an amazing book. I mean, what Martin Luther says about Galatians, it could you know cut you to the heart, make you laugh the next minute. And um, you've got you know, all these modern thinkers that ride on it. There's a wonderful book by Warren Wearsby called Be Free. Be Free. That's his summary of the whole book of Galatians. And he has this wonderful little chart that shows us how we can be free. And really, I think it shows us the difference between religion and the gospel and how it works itself out in our lives. Because if we are just religious or just trying to be spiritual, this is, this is how he says it, it, it goes. You know, the first step is we start to think, if I obey these rules, I'll become a more spiritual person. And I am a great admirer of, of this religious leader. So I'll submit myself to his system. And it's, you know, I don't know if he meant this or not, but it's usually right. It's usually his, some male on a power trip, his religious system And it's always, have you noticed this? It's always about the three steps to a more spiritual life. Or five easy steps to become a more deep person. Or ten steps to enlightenment. It's always broken down into some, you know, just an easy system. You just have to follow these rules and everything will go perfectly for you. Okay. The next thing he says is, is as we get deeper into this you know, religious, spiritual life, he says, I believe I have the strength to improve myself. I'll do what I'm told and measure up to the standards set for me. Did you notice it becomes really selfish really quick? It's all about you, you, you. And there's always these standards. You've got to live up to these standards. Is that the life that Jesus called us to? Is that the freedom that Jesus talks about? No. If you take, if you go a little bit further into these, you know, these cults or these spiritual systems, it's, you start to think like this. I'm making progress. 
I don't do some of the things I used to do. And I can see that I'm a lot better than other people in my fellowship. How wonderful it is to be so spiritual. And I just think about Mormonism. I think about Jehovah's Witness. I mean, how can they not be thinking that? I knocked on 827 doors this week. How many did you do? How does it not turn into a competition or a measuring, measuring stick? And then you, get the, you finally arrive in this place of complete pride where you've completely lost yourself. If only others were like me. God is certainly fortunate that I'm his. And too bad that other groups are not as spiritual as we are. Pride, pride, pride. Where is the gospel, this very countercultural message, where we have to admit that we're sinners, that we're sinners saved by grace, that Paul, Paul talks about it here. The cross is offensive. It's offensive. It's admitting, I'm so bad that Jesus had to be born into this world and had to give his life for me. Otherwise, I've got no chance. It's so different than religion. It's so different than spirituality. The, gospel, the gospel-centered person grows like this. It's all laid out in Galatians 5 and 6. I've been set free by Christ, and I'm no longer under bondage to the law. So we're not in these systems, we're not in these steps, we're not trying to please God because Jesus has already pleased him. But we do, verse uh, 13 to 26 in Galatians 5 talks about we we need to surrender, we need to give up control, we need something or someone else to control our lives. And who is that someone? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And we're going to be learning more about that in the coming weeks. The life of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, when we surrender to Him, He brings all these things that we want. The love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, and on and on. The self-control that we all need. And then, the, the verse, chapter 6 Paul gets into you know, this desire we have to not live for ourselves anymore, to not be prideful, to not be so focused on ourselves, but to live for others, to fulfill the love for neighbor that he talks about. And then that culminates in this, in this realization that we have that this life of freedom, this walking with Jesus, this living for him is so wonderful that we, we, wanna, we live for the glory of God and we want to invite others into that. We just, we share it. And it's not, it's not pride, it's the exact opposite of pride. It's the glory that goes to God. He gets the glory when we live out this life of freedom. There uh, was this incredible movie that came out in the 90s called Shawshank Redemption. And uh, it's an incredible story of, you know, redemption and, and fighting for justice and everything. But this, this week, as I sat down to think about freedom, I was reminded of one of the smaller characters in this movie. Um, his name in the film or in the book, Stephen King wrote the book, Brooks Hatlin. And he was played by a guy named James Whitmore. And if we can, here's a picture of, you know, Tim Robbins, he's the main character. Andy, Andy Dufresne, I think, was his name. 
And next to him is a wonderful actor, uh, James Whitmore, and he, his name was Brooks in the film. And in the, fi- in the book, you know, in the film, he went to prison in 1905, and he got out in 1954. So he is entering this whole new world, and he can't get used to the modern world. You know, he says, I saw one or two cars when I, you know, before I went in. But now, everybody's in such a dang hurry. You know, everybody's got a car, and the whole world has changed. And he, he hates the outside world. He hates the world outside of prison. He hates the halfway house he has to live in. He hates the grocery store that he has to work in. He thinks his boss has it out for him. And he longs to break his parole so that he can go back where he belongs. So he can go back to prison and be, you know, with, with his friends. It's kind of like what the Israelites said when they were delivered. It's like, well, at least we knew, you know, the work hours back in Egypt. At least we got food. At least we knew what slavery was like. He can't live that new life. They say he's become institutionalized. He's become institutionalized to the prison. And that's the only life he knows. And he can't live this life of freedom. And so I'm sorry to end the sermon on such a bummer note. This is a very Calvinist thing for me to do, isn't it? Remember what happens? He, 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 he kills himself. He takes his own life because he doesn't know what to do with his freedom. Friends in Jesus Christ, for freedom Christ has set us free. You are not stuck in your old way of life. You are not stuck in prison. You are not institutionalized. Jesus has won freedom for you. And you get to walk in his ways and live as he lived. And that's the vision of Christ for your life for 2020. God's perfect 2020 vision for you is this life of freedom. To live for him, to be motivated by his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, help us to to wrap our minds around the freedom that you give us. Move in our hearts so that we're motivated by love for you. The love that sent Jesus to the cross. That you would love us that much. Help us to live for you, God. To to do away with anything that stands in the way of putting you first. Lord, bring those to mind. Help us to enter into this new season, this new year, motivated by the good news. Motivated by what you have done for us. Jesus, thank you for your incredible gift, for your love and your faithfulness and even your kindness to us. Show us what it means to not live a life of rules and regulations and imprisonment, but to live free to love, free to love. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.